Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Welcome to episode 20 of Window on the West. Today we are going to be talking through chapter 16 of Maeglin. A real story for once. Something that actually like sort of has a beginning, a middle, and an ending. Which is kind of mm. nice. Kind of. Though it goes on and on and on. But before we jump into that, I, my name is Jonathan Watson. I'm here along with Michael, Michael Grumbine right here on the video he's Howdy. to my left. And Dan Coates down hey. below. All the way over in California where the sun is still shining and the laws that ruin small businesses are still being made. Mm. It's getting darker <laughs> earlier and earlier. Oh, yeah, well. Yeah, but, yeah. So it is. Well, I mean, so both, both physically and uh, governmentally. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Uh, well, well said. speaking of dark, we hear the, the dark <laughs> elves. Oh, okay. I don't know. That was a really poor transition. But we will be speaking of the Dark Elf Ale, and, and maybe why is he dark? Because that's one of the questions that I'm sure we'll address in our extended podcast, which you can get by going to thewondering.com slash patron, where for $4 a month and the first month is free, you can get our extended podcast. You can chat with us in uh, Discord. Uh, you can ask questions. We get ideas, go back and forth. In fact, our All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter comes from the folks there again today so uh check out uh, the wondering.com slash patron today we're going to talk about um more about ale why is he stooped what uh <clears throat> why is he dark and we're, we're even going to do something crazy and talk about tom bombadil a little bit because no one has ever answered that to anyone's satisfaction so today michael is going to once and for all give us the reasons for tom bombadil Oh no, <laughs> Michael! Th Michael didn't know he was going to do know, this. I know, I know. That will be a lot of fun. So anyway, join us there. Go <laughs> to morning.com/slash/patron, uh, and you can get it on video too. We, we record it, and you, you guys, uh, you, everybody you, uh, in Discord chat, we alert everybody to the link to that, so that you can see it too in the secret, unlisted. Shh, don't share it. Files on YouTube. Can you do that on Rumble? I don't know. If we can, we will. Uh, so let's jump into our uh, trivia section. All that is gold does not glitter. And today it comes from, uh, from our folks in our Discord chat. I think this was Naya again. She picked some good ones. Yeah, and uh, I took so brutal for me. You play the everyman for us here because <laughs> like without you, nobody would be able to identify with anything that we're talking about. Mm. So, That's right. I'll, I'll, I'll tell myself that. <laughs> thank, thank you. Uh, all that is gold does not glitter. Um, these questions, I don't know if there was a, a pattern to them. It seemed like perhaps it had to do, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna guess, but I got this right actually. Me and another guy, Harrison in our, and Lynn, I think all, we all got it right. Three of us did uh, nice. when we guessed it. Um, so, so there's no theme to these? There's no theme necessarily that I can take. I'd have to ask Naya what, what she was thinking. Here's the first one. She had not even asked him not to go. She might as well, she thought, have bid the wind, throw no more clouds across the lonely sky between her and the moon. So great he seemed in his oppressed solemnity. All right. I'm going to go to the next one, and then we'll go back through these one more time. Okay. Even at night, when the moon shone pale, still they would play and dance, and they were not afraid as I should be. All right. 
Instead of lights at every window, as is customary on days of ceremony, he saw only a gray mass, which was veiled also by a cloud, which at that moment obscured the moon's feeble light. That was three, right? Now we're on to number four. All right. And then again, one marvel of a day he had walked so far that when he returned, the moon was high and full, and all the world was purple shadow and silver. All right. So we'll go back to the first one. Okay. So this is the first Mm. one again. She had not even asked him not to go. She might as well, she thought, have bid the wind throw no more clouds across the lonely sky between her and the moon. So great he seemed in his oppressed solemnity. All right, I'll read the second one again. Even at night when the moon shone pale, still they would play and dance, and they were not afraid as I should be. Still would they play and dance. Still would they play and dance, yes. Instead of lights at every window, as is customary on days of ceremony, he saw only a gray mass, which was veiled also by a cloud, which at that moment obscured the the moon's feeble light. And then the last one again. One marvel of a day he had walked so far that when he returned, the moon was high and full, and all the world was purple shadow and silver. All right. There you have it. Those four. Um, You can talk it out if you want to. Um, Tell me if you need a lifeline. So I, 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 um, I have it down to two. Okay. Um, but, but I want, Dan, do you have any sort of things that you can like poke out of here, push off the cliff? That's okay. All right. I'm just taking it for me personally. I'm just taking a stab in the dark. So I I would, I don't know. Is there anything in here that you think isn't very Tolkien-ish or do they all sound not Tolkien-ish? There's two of them that have flaws that are not Tolkien-ish. I thought that the first one had a double negative. Correct. And that kind of seemed like something Tolkien would yeah. not do. Yeah, that is will, correct. Will, also, also, will, also, yes. it had too many, too much. It had a, it had an in, interlineated metaphor in the middle of a sentence, and it that seems too tortured for Tolkien. Interestingly enough, um, hmm. so she which, she which, might which, as well have bid the wind to throw no more clouds across a lonely sky between her and the moon. So great he seemed in his oppressed solemnity. That's that's breaking apart the sentence too much. Tolkien doesn't usually write like that. Um, okay. He does sometimes have long sentences, but right. but but doesn't separate the subject. Right. Um, yeah. You know, anyway, yeah. I think this okay, is so definitely that was Dan, not it. So you're you're absolutely right. This is not it. What was so that was Dan's one that he's kicking out. What about you? What's the next one you're kicking out? Number three. Which is, instead of lights at every window, as is customary on days of ceremony, he saw only a gray mass, which was veiled also by a cloud, which at that moment obscured the moon's feeble light. Too many witches in this. <laughs> it's too many witches. Yeah, you and know, it's funny. Witch, you can witch. go back to Discord in our chat, and that's exactly what I said. The witch-witch thing is completely anti-Tolkien. It just doesn't oh, there sound we go. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. it's funny how now that I this we've done this as a thing where we keep looking at these quotes, which congrats to the people that are picking them out are really similar or have a lot of similarities with Tolkien sometimes. Um, yeah. I suspect there's a lot of so Tolkien writes more like a 19th century writer than a 20th century writer, and um, and so so I suspect there are some of those in there's in, the, in this four these four. But um, but yes, I, I've started to do detailed analysis of Tolkien sentence structure because of this game that we play. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I think the witch, which is not a Tolkienism. So that's my, that's, I'm throwing that one out. Okay. So we're down to number two, which is even at night when the moon shone pale, still they would play and dance and they were not afraid as I should be. And the fourth one, which is one marvel of a day. He had walked so far that when he returned, the moon was high and full and all the world was purple shadow and silver. 
All right, you got your so, hand. Oh, oh my, my you give answer? us give us thoughts. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and lock in my answer and pick number four is Tolkien, and I think number two is weird to me because it's in the first person and it seems like it's narrating something in the first person, mm. but I could be mm. wrong. Yeah, so that threw me off at first too. But if you go back to number two, I'm, I'm, I locked mine. Uh, when you threw up a four, I threw up a two. Um, I'm locking mine in as a two, and the reason is because when I reread it, when Jonathan reread it, and he misread it the second time, I realized it was far That's, more. Tol- I don't make mistakes. Uh, it was it? far more. It was far more <laughs> Tolkien when you read it correctly, which is even at night when the moon shone pale, still would they play and dance, and they were not afraid as I should be. So, the 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 switching of the order. Instead of still they would play, it's oh, still would Sorry. they play. Yeah. And and that's a very Tolkien-esque construction. And even at night when the moon shone pale is a very Tolkien-esque. Um, although I, I don't think that only Tolkien would use a phrase like that, but that's still. So I'm going with, I'm going with number two. Um, yeah. All right. But number four is beautiful. And yeah. I, I feel like I've read it before somewhere. It's very descriptive. And it is, a, it is Tolkien-like right. in its description. Well, I will, I will tell you what's what. Um, and I'll go through them in the same order here and give you the answer for what it is. So number one, you're right, is from uh, Merlin, a poem by Edgar e. A. Yeah. E. Robinson. I can't remember. He's he was a uh, poet. You United? I think he was a poet, Pulitzer Prize winning po- poet, if I remember right. Hmm. Um, anyway, I, I, which probably means nobody remembers him now as much as we know. <laughs> so. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't familiar with this here, but yeah, this is a this is a poem actually. So I'm not sure what the meter is now that I look at it. I guess that is the meter the way that it's put in. Um, so anyway, yeah, okay. Number two is indeed Tolkien. Hmm. However, here's what I will say: um, it is not exactly Baron and Luthien. Okay, it's, it's from the Book of Lost Tales. It's from the from the very early um, Baron and Luthien story where. Thingol was still called Tinwilent, I think, and uh, Daron was Baron was Luthien's brother, and mm. um, uh, Melian was called something else, if I remember. It was very different. It was completely different. I think was Baron even an elf then? I think might have been. So Baron this is from the Book of Lost first, Tales yeah. two originally, and then they have republished this part of it into uh, the book Baron and Luthien. <clears throat> and, so an uh, early version of Baron and Luthien. Yeah, and I had just read the Book of Lost Tales. I think about a month and a, two months ago, maybe two and a half months ago. I read both of those uh, earlier this fall. So just like that other quote about the sheep, you had just read it. I just I just been going through it. Yeah, kind of nice. like. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but but it was like the whole play, play and dance in the moonlight. That is very Lost Talesy, and it's a first person. So the Book of Lost Tales is actually like a first person story about. This uh, Ariel, the sailor who gets on these the, the elven shores, and he's being told these stories in the first person, uh, and it's what Tolkien started writing. I think, kind of, I think, I think during World War One, when the very first incarnation of this came out during that. Um, so it is very early Tolkien. It's really different than his other writings that came far later, and it's far harder to read. It's far less enjoyable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But he's it's not interesting. He's not as good a writer. No, nowhere near it. All right, so, so yeah, but uh, Dan, you're two and four. That was exactly what I was down to as well. Like, like, see, okay, it's so it bad. shows. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. You're, you're picking it up, sir. This, yeah. uh, this game definitely rewards those who are currently kind of reading. Crease, oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So this third quote, instead of lights at every window, as is customary on days of ceremony, he saw only a gray mass which was veiled also by a cloud, which at that moment obscured the moon's feeble light, which is from 
The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas, which I guess originally is French. So I don't know if, if this was in French, maybe we would have been even more sure that this wasn't Tolkien. <laughs> However, <laughs> this is a translation by whom I am not sure. Uh, but yeah, Count of Monte Cristo, which actually I've never read and everybody keeps telling me I should read it. It's just so big. Mm. Some of the best books are, sir. Dang it. I guess Lord of the Rings is one big book, isn't it? I got no leg to stand on here. Okay, last one is uh, One Marvel of a Day. Oh, he had walked Secret so Garden. far that when he returned, I the moon was high it. and full and all the world was purple shadow and silver. It is from the book The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Burnett, Burnett. yeah. There are a few children's books more descriptive and beautiful than that book. I have not read that one either. You, oh, man. I'm not a, a – yeah, sorry. I don't make my kids write Quenya to me either, so – <laughs> Maybe it was you know what's funny more? is that now my sons have convinced they, they're, they're writing letters back and forth to their friends in California who are now using the Tangwar script as well. <laughs> so wow. it's a secret code now. That's awesome. Yep. With you, you just, but you just, yeah, breaking it should be relatively easy for anybody who's looking at it, though, right? Uh, yes, <laughs> super easy. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, good. good Hardly job, an inconvenience. Guys. Is there like, Dan, you're like, you know, for somebody who's really only read The Lord of the Rings and this far into the Silmarillion to get it halfway there is, you know, that's, that's, that's admirable. That's something. Yeah. That's something. You're doing great, sir. I'm almost there. (laughs) You can go, what is it? You you can go uh, dancing in the pale moonlight. Wait, that's not. I can do Dancing with uh, the devil in the pale moonlight. Is that how it is? No, no, no. The moon showed pale still and you would play and dance. (laughs) That's a different author. (laughs) I can do the uh, who wants to be a millionaire and then I can use the lifeline for the 50-50 and I I would get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Who would you call? I would call you guys, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) My phone would ring in the middle of the podcast. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. wait. All right. So we are on to chapter 16 of Maglin. Maglin. Mike, sorry. Okay. Myglin. <laughs> can't say Ted Naismith right <laughs> to whomever corrected us in our YouTube comments, but yes. Okay. Ted Naismith and of Myglin. Chapter 16. And as usual, we will commence with Dead Big Thoughts. Thanks for that intro, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Um, My pleasure. So My pleasure. with this chapter, I, I have a feeling or I should say my, my, my big thought is probably along the lines of the grass is not always greener on the other side. And, uh, and this chapter kind of reminded me of modern Disney movies where the princess follows her heart <laughs> and goes out and seeks something that she's missing. And um, it works out in the Disney movies Hmm. Uh, even if they run into trouble, it's like, okay, well, you were still right to follow your heart and you, you're rewarded in the end, like like maybe in um, the, the Little Mermaid or something like that. Or yeah. um, well, I'm, I'm trying to remember all the princess movies oh. that my daughter wants to watch. But but like so in this chapter, you kind of have the opposite. So you, so you have a, the the lady of the Noldor. Uh, you have uh, Arithel, I believe is how you pronounce her name. And she wants to leave the secret city of Gondolin and leave her brother Turgon, who's there ruling. And she just gets she gets um, she's she's not at rest. She's not at peace. She she's looking for something else. 
And so she decides to leave the massive walled secret fortress of Gondolin to just, I don't, I don't know, just looking for something else. She just wants to be out and out, out and about. And it doesn't work out for her uh, as we, as we find out in this chapter. So I, I immediately thought of like that, like follow your heart. It doesn't always lead out. It doesn't always go how you think it's going to go. I just had this image of, um, like you brought up the Disney movie, and I just thought of uh, Belle in Beauty and the Beast, and everybody singing the song Belle. And now we had like yeah. her walking through Gondolin, and everyone singing the song Arithel. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I don't even I don't even remember the lyrics, but I just know like the whole thing is about oh there goes that Belle again. She's on her own. She's got that mind of her own that you've got to worry about. But. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of seems like if you're living in a secret fortress city. You, you're locked in. Like you should not leave the secret fortress city. I think it's going to lead to bad things later on down the road. Right, but see, think about it this way: if you were an elf and you lived in a secret fortress city, you are immortal, which means you're really going to be there forever. <laughs> so it makes the stakes a little higher having a secret fortress city that you can't leave. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and so I'm not sure it's really interesting. I don't, I mean, I, it, we do get the hint. I think you're right, Dan, that, that following her heart was the wrong thing to do. It ends badly for her in the end. Um, there's some very interesting themes in this, in this chapter about free will, because um, and, and actually a topic that, that is frequently, another topic that frequently comes up with Tolkien fans, which is the use of magic. We have a very clear statement that Aeol, the dark elf, uses enchantments. It says, it, it says specifically that he set his enchantments about her so that she could not find the ways out, but drew ever nearer to his dwelling in the depths of the wood. And then it seems that there's another enchantment that he sets on her as well. Um, although it doesn't, doesn't see this ex- explicitly, but her will seems um, bent to his essentially. Um, although there's there's some there's some contention about that. So so I, I, there's a number of topics with regard to the Arathel Aeol relationship that I wanted to bring up to you guys. But but uh, I like your Disney your Disney princess yeah. re- reference. That's good, Dan. Well, and it's you know you you brought up Dan why before we jump into the whole Aeol and all the all the emotions around that and like how much did she really want to be there and what, you know, the, the questions you're going to bring up. I want to talk a little bit about why did she want to leave? And it goes back to the, the one line where she says, my heart desires rather to find the sons of Feanor, my friends of old. Um, this was when, you know, when she was like, I want to leave. And then she finally reveals to those guarding her like, Oh, this is where I'm really going. And it goes back to what we discussed in the previous chapter. Or was it two chapters ago? Hmm, can't remember. Uh, where, the relationship, I think it was the last chapter. Yeah, the the relationship that um, that the El the Noldor had between each other was far deeper than what even is revealed in the Silmarillion so far. You see all the the anguish and the anger and the um, betrayals that had happened, but their relationship went back thousands of years before that, where they lived in Amman together, and they had established at least some sort of understanding of each other that would be really hard to break even through these horrible events which you know ultimately they probably blamed their the fanor's fanor for uh and so i think like she was just it's like she just wanted friends again right she just wanted to get out in a way like she was stuck there and that that to me is what i took out of it that 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 was her primary goal like like you said michael like she'd be stuck there forever 
if uh, if she couldn't go, and she was longing for friendship. Having said that, it is the kind of thing where I don't I don't think we can understand because we, there's something inherently incomprehensible about the lives of elves to us mm -hmm. as humans, which is, makes it fascinating why Tolkien focuses so much on them in this book because. Um, to have the mindset of something of a, a being that actually literally lives forever, except under certain circumstances, like being stabbed with a sword and such, um, <laughs> yeah. then there, it, your mindset is totally different. It's total. It's completely different. And so the idea of being bound in a single place and never leaving for eternity, essentially, um, seems very strange to us. Um, maybe it's easier for them to bear because of their immortal nature. I don't know. Um, but definitely Arathel was an exception because we don't get stories of all these other people leaving, although who knows how many people might have wanted to. But uh, Arathel's given the exception by her brother. And no, nobody else, right? Nobody else has ever had an exception to here. And nobody else has, as, as far as we know, no one else has ever found Gondolin. No one else has ever left Gondolin after the however one-third or whatever the Noldor came and uh, his people came and went with him. Right. Right. And I got to imagine that it was voluntary, right? That when she went there initially, that she decided this is okay, this, this is what we're doing. It wasn't like she was taken there against her will. Yeah, she went there with her family. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that would be the, the, the smartest decision to make. Um, so is this basically like the plot of Spider-Man where Tobey Maguire <laughs> tells his Uncle Ben and Aunt May that he's going to the library to study, and he actually, like goes to the corner, leaves the car, and then he turns and he goes off to the wrestling match instead. If a Disney princess were Spider-Man, this is exactly <laughs> what the story is. <laughs> I'm sure it's in some way this is like a Harry Potter story as well, if we, if we shoehorn it in enough. And I hear it's like the Count of Monte Cristo, too. <laughs> uh, look, <laughs> I'm going through everything. I'm just and trying to relate. I'm trying to be the everyman. I'm trying to be the everyman that we can all relate to this story. All right. Well, so speaking of people that aren't the everyman, um, Ale, so... Here's a weird elf, right? So we're given a description of the, the guy that ends up being the villain for a chapter. Um, and Aeol is called the Dark Elf. Yeah. And he lives he lives in Nan Elmoth. So which... if you're on video, we have the, the map up again. We can see Nan Elmoth is um, is over here, down there on the, the right-hand side. of Basically this. directly east of Doriath. Right. And Gondolin um, is way up over here in the, in the, the center north west part of this little map here and she has to go all the way over from here all the way over here and then down into Nanalmoth down here to that right. trees and we can see that that there they, she she's denied entry into Doriath she, which we don't know why she wants to go into Doriath but you know it's an interesting place and she likes wandering so why not so she's she wants to go to Doriath but she won't be let into Doriath because Two reasons. A, she's not a son of Fenarfin, and we were told in the previous chapter that only the family of Fenarfin is let into Doriath because of their relationship with Fingal. Um, and she is of the house of Fingolfin, not of Fenarfin. So she's not going to be let in. But also, more seriously, she um, her ultimate journey is to visit the sons of Fionor. And uh, the Fingal and uh, his elves have a peculiar dislike especially Fingal, of the sons of Fionor. And so he won't let her, let her. So she has to keep wandering. So she keeps wandering. And if you do wander north of the realm of Fingal and Melian and south of Arid Gorgoroth, the mount, those, those mountains there, then the, the word of the day is always enmeshed, apparently, because everyone gets enmeshed. <laughs> Multiple times things are enmeshed in this story. And um, 
enmeshed, enmeshed by shadows. And uh, so, so her companions are enmeshed by shadows in, 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 in Gorgoroth or in Nan uh, Dungortheb and, she, and then chased by spiders and icky things. And uh, she wanders off by herself and ends up in Nan Elmoth. Um, now we're told a little bit about the, the Lord, the only elven dweller in Nan Elmoth that we know about anyway, of importance. And that's Aeol, and he's a strange elf. So he's a Teleri. He's not one of the Noldor. And he is, uh, um, he loves which, crap. Again, which means he never went to Valinor. He's been here the entire time. Correct. Now, the Teleri covers a lot of different people. Right. So technically, um, Sylvan elves are Teleri as well as as well as Sindar elves. Um, so, and some of the Falmari as well. Um, who de- who the ones who don't go across to oh, right? We're gonna bring this one back. Great. <laughs> <laughs> this is Michael's awesome. I still think it's an awesome drawing. If anybody here wants a copy of this here, and we'll mock it up in Photoshop and give us a great version of this here, which describes all the different elves and tries to put them into their proper location so that we understand who they are. We can see the Teleri covers a lot of elves, but these yeah. are so, the elves. So Aeol is a dark elf like Arendir, right? Oh, geez. Sorry. I have to think about that. Who's Arendir? It was so far out of my mind, Dan. I couldn't even I'm remember sorry. who I'm Arendir sorry. was. But like, well, How well, dare I, you bring up the Rings of Power again? Okay. But like when people hear the word dark elf, depending on what fantasy uh, realm you're talking about, they might think of darker skinned, right? Right. But like for, right. for Tolkien, it's not dark in terms of complexion or, or anything like that. It's dark because they didn't go to Valinor. And well, not just that. Trees, right? in, the, in this case, he's dark because he does not want to go into the light. There's a darkness to him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's actually a lot of dark aspects to him. But you are correct, Dan, that technically the first dark elves are just called, they're more Quendi. Quendi um, they're called dark elves because they haven't seen the light of the two trees. Um, so that, that's a whole group, all, a whole bunch of groups of elves are more Quendi or dark elves technically. But seems like nobody really uses that term very much. I get the feeling it isn't used in common everyday elven speech. This guy is named the Dark Elf, and he's called the Dark Elf not because of skin color, as you said, but because, um, as Jonathan alludes to, he um, he likes dark things. He likes darkness literally. He dwells in um, the forest that he's that, that he's in, um, Nan. Sorry, I just went Elmoth. Elmoth. Oh, um, hmm. he, he dwells in Nan Elmoth because it's a place of shadow. And he liked the world before the sun and moon. He liked this, the world with the stars only. And so he's, he's dwelling in darkness there. Um, he doesn't even like to go out in the sun. That's referenced a couple of times. He invents a new steel called Galvorn, which is dark. It's the, like the, and he, he walks around dressed in dark steel the whole time, hmm. um, apparently. And so uh, he's, he, he just loves the lack of light. <laughs> Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, though, but isn't that um, something that's common or at least similar to all elves? Don't they all like star? Don't they all prefer starlight as opposed to the sun? No. Yes. Well, for this guy in particular, he, you're saying he just loves darkness. He, he doesn't like any light. Right. Go ahead. So to answer your question, Kurofin refers to, to him specifically as being he, he, something must be really serious for you to be seen out in the sunshine. So he doesn't actually go in the sunshine usually. Okay. And it's, we're, we're told that. Um, but do all elves love the stars? Yes, they do. And they enjoy them when the stars are out and there is no moon, as happens 
multiple times a month. But the elves love the moon and, star and sun as well. So the elves are not like um, uh, um, uh, am sort of ambivalent about the sun and moon. They really love the sun and moon. Um, but they also love the stars, and that was how where they first were, were um, when they first walked the earth and awoke. They woke under the stars only. There was no sun and moon, and they they couldn't see the light of the two trees um, from where they were. So, so yep, that's right. They're, this, the elves all love the stars. This guy is just an elf that loved the stars and hated and hates the sun and moon. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's no necessary, not not really um, any other evidence we can point to that says oh this is what he means when he says dark elf he he he, he calls maglin there's a darkness about him i think at the end of this chapter um yes he says he, his love turned to darkness in his heart uh is what he says about maglin um but mm. to say he is the dark elf i think it was just part of the legendarium this is how people refer to him and so it's how he referred to him uh and there was something different about him uh it, originally in one of the histories of middle earth um it was because I think, oh man, I think it was because of his smithing and he, either he that, that or he learned stuff from Morgoth. I can't remember exactly. And then that eventually changed to be the dwarves. Um, so the story changed for Tolkien too, where he, he learned more from the dwarves than, and, and didn't learn any anything from Morgoth. Right. He has no contact with Morgoth that we're told about in this, in this at in all. This, in this version of the story, in right? In this version. Now, I would, I would point out that the very first time to contrast Ael, the Dark Elf, um, with Arathel, his soon-to-be wife um, of dubious origin. Slash prisoner. Yeah, wife slash prisoner. <laughs> that's right. Um, when we are first introduced to Arathel, way back in one sentence, way back in the ch like f chapter five, um, we're introduced to her as Arathel the White. Uh, and... It says, uh, the sons of Fingolfin were Fingon, who was afterwards king of the Noldor in the north of the world, and Turgon, lord of Gondolin. Their sister was Arathel the White. She was younger in the years of the Elder than her brothers, and when she was grown to full stature and beauty, she was tall and strong and loved much to ride and hunt in the forests. There she was often in the company of the sons of Fionor, her kin, but to none was her lo heart's love given. Arfaniel, she was called, the White Lady of the Noldor, for she was pale though her hair was dark, and she was, was never arrayed but in silver and white. So so you have, Tolkien's clearly using dark and light as contrasts mm -hmm. here, and and he uses them both, in, in her case, he is referring not just to her skin color, which she calls pale, and as a, a contrasting with her dark hair, but also her clothing, you know, she would wear silver and white. Yeah. So, so, he just isn't bounded by the same silliness that we have in language nowadays with with uh, woke ideology, et cetera, where he, it it doesn't mean not everything has to have racial overtones with Tolkien. It's just right. a it's just a matter of color and contrast. It seems odd to me that Aeol would be attracted to Arathel if the description of her is that she's kind of like light and and everything about her is light it seems like um and he's he's all about darkness so it's, it's almost it, like it's almost like a conquering or yeah. like a, he, he's taking something and away from the, kind of, there you go kind of in the same way that morgoth wants the silmarils even though there's the light mm -hmm. he still lusts after exactly those. exactly and beauty is in other words in tolkien's world beauty is still beauty and even people of dark or evil intent see beauty as something to be obtained 
Mm. And dominated. Yes, um, in their case, they dominate. That's exactly right. The, the parallels go deeper. I like that. I like that point. And, and I think that's where we say, it, okay, I'm, I'm jumping again to the end because this, this is what struck me about the end, but it ties right back to who Ale was and who Miglin is, at this point still is, um, where he says, Miglin sought the more to have his will in other matters, shirking the toiler burden, if he th- might thereby have power. And I think that speaks to that darkness to the, in the same way that Morgoth wanted power over, over people. Um, and what, when the Noldor wanted, you know, wanted their own lands and to rule their own, they wanted power, right? All these sorts of things come from uh, the desire to dominate. Um, and I think that's, that's a big part of the darkness that we see mm-hmm. in Ale, not just that he's stooped and he goes and sees the dwarves a whole lot. Yeah. Right. And, and you jump to Maeglin, who is, of course, the son the son, correct. Of Arathel and Ale. Um, after they've been married for a long time, they have a son in Nan Elmoth. And can, um, can I just say that the triple negative that he uses in that one sentence, it is not said that Arathel was wholly unwilling, nor that her life in Elmoth was hateful to her for many years. I guess it's a double negative or unwilling. But man, I was I had to read that a few times to go like, wait, mm. wait, what is he saying? This is like Bilbo saying, I I like less than half of you, half as well as you deserve. And, <laughs> right that <laughs> just reading that, I'm like, wait. Yeah. So she was, it is not said, so it is said that Arathel was wholly willing. So, okay, so this is like saying what, what I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, I'm trying to find Wholly unwilling yeah. was wholly unwilling. So, so, so he's saying Arathel was at least partly Partially willing. Partially willing, yeah, right. And perhaps it's just the desire to get out that, that, that or the first and time. It, and that, and that for a time. Her her, her, <laughs> she followed her heart. <laughs> See, Ale is just the beast. Mm. Yep. No, I, I can I, change him. I can no. change him. <laughs> Evangelism dating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It oh kind of seemed like so. She she finds this creepy guy hanging out in the woods, and for whatever reason, she's somewhat she's enchanted, partly due to magic and 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 being trapped in in kind of like the spells that he's weaving somehow. Um, but but also she's also somewhat attracted to him in some way. Mm-hmm. And so she does go into this relationship with him, partly willing, but then she quickly becomes trapped and, and she's not allowed to leave. So is this, has he dominated her already in part? Mm-hmm. In other words, is this, if she is, if she is only partially willing, does that mean she's partially unwilling? Was this, was this, was this, um, was this the force of his enchantment that did it? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he would leave for a long period of time, and it wasn't until Maeglin, who perhaps wasn't under that same enchantment, told her, we got to get out of here, because he would sit and listen to her stories of her people and wanted to experience that. And so when right. they had a chance, right, they left. But there were times before that where, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but where he would be gone for periods of time, and she would just stay there, kind of like Stockholm Syndrome almost. Mm. Um and so my, I mean, if you, if, if you, if you ask me like, which, to which side do you lean that she was willing or unwilling? I would say it like perhaps in the beginning, she was a little bit willing to see what was up, but as time passed, like the enchantments and everything, like as her unwillingness grew, I felt I feel like he's the kind of character that where the enchantments would have to grow, where he would force her more into staying rather than being able to follow her heart. <laughs> I, I really think you're right, Jonathan, about that second part. About the first part, I would go even stronger on it. I mm. would say, you know, Arathel is told to be, um, we're told that she 
doesn't give her a heart to anyone in the beginning um, when we first meet her from chapter five. And, and then all of a sudden, this guy who has very little to offer and very little lovely about him, she marries him. Like that's a serious thing for elves. Mm. This is not a, this is not a, um, a fl- they don't do, elves don't do flings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and so this, so the, the force of her um, falling in love with this unlovable dark elf um, seems very, as my teenagers would say, very sus. And, <laughs> and so there's a, um, I, it seems to me like Tolkien's telling us that, that it's largely the enchantment at work, mm. not, not just, not just yeah. the, the, the will of, of Arathel. And I got the impression reading this chapter that he's just living out there by himself, right? There's no, there's no other elves around of his kind. It's just him hanging out in the woods. Well, we are told that he has a bunch of silent servants. Oh, okay. I don't know what that means. It says, there were his smith and his dim halls and such servants as he had, silent and secret as their master. So they're all they're all under his spell. They're all Probably. being enchanted. Hmm. Seems like a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. We, what a weirdo. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's just a bad guy. I I, I don't. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, he's not he's not in league with Morgoth, which makes it even more interesting, right? Because Tolkien's pointing out there's other kinds of evil in the world. You can you can go wrong without being um, a follower of Morgoth. Hmm. So, I, I think uh, Tolkien originally the dwarves were far more. Um, dark, I guess you could say, for to use the to continue using the word originally in Tolkien's writings, then they became uh, further on as he developed his his legendarium. Yeah, that's right. And so perhaps this is still a little bit of that left with him because he would spend so much time with the dwarves, and he right. learned all his smithing, and he was stooped, I would think, from the dwarves, uh, from smithing and doing the things in their small... You, went, you just went and answered our question well, we we're supposed to of. wait on. <laughs> well, I, there's, there's more to it than that. Like uh-huh. we'll, we'll talk. But um, yeah, so uh, that is where like the, the darkness, like uh, where, where did it come from originally? Uh, like uh, what about the dwarves? Is it the dwarves? Is, does it, do we would still say that that's part of it maybe? Mm. Or was his darkness like made him <laughs> like the caves a whole lot more? Uh, yeah, because that's that's where he was when they ended up leaving, right? So he we don't learn a lot about why he learned and what he learned, but when he went to the uh, I can't remember. I'm looking for the event that he went to, but in any case, that's when Maglin says, "Here we are held in bondage," uh, which clearly he knows that now. And no prophet shall I find here. This is Maglin saying this: "For I have learned all that my father has to teach, or that the Nalgrim will reveal to me. Shall we not seek for Gondolin?" You shall be my guide and I will be your guard. You know, it's interesting because I see in Maeglin a, a almost perfect combination of the wanderlust of his mother and the seeking, the, the dark, a darkness seeking after light to obtain in his, of his father. Um, mm. Because as we'll see at the end of the story, yeah. like he desires this shining, beautiful, um, Vanyar mm. mm-hmm. elf. Mm. Um, and, and uh, it, and and when he can't obtain her for a slightly different reason, because basically um, uh, lines of consanguinity are important, somewhat important to elves when it comes to marriage. It turns out you can't marry your your close cousin. No. Um, 
then then uh, he he gets he becomes very dark indeed. This is Michael in the Sun, yeah. but that's after his father has already been killed. So maybe we should yeah. go through the story. <laughs> well, they go right, and Ale comes back a little bit too early, and he realizes they're gone. So he starts chasing after them. Uh, he meets up with uh, Kurufin. Well, he uh, thinks they they've gone to visit the Kelgorm and Kurufin. Yeah, yeah. Kelgorm and Kurufin. So he goes first to their land and. Corifin already knows, and then it, I I have the my there's a favorite quote. There's the dialogue between Ale and Corifin I find to be very interesting. Um, so maybe we can read that. Sure. Which which is the line that stood out to you? Which uh... okay. So this is um, this is when Corifin's messengers pick up Ale in his lands, and he brings and they bring him to Corifin, and he says. They might have found their welcome here less warm than they hoped. So yeah. go ahead, read that one. I have another All one right. too, but go ahead. Yeah, where where Kurufin, he laughed at Ale, right? So Ale already, right? You you know he's not respected here. They might have found their welcome here less warm than they hoped, had you accompanied them. But it is no matter, for that was not their errand. It is not two days since they passed over the uh, Rosiach and thence rode swiftly westward. It seems that you would deceive me, unless indeed you yourself have been deceived. Yeah. Uh, because that's exactly what he was doing. Ale was deceiving Kurufin, saying like, "Oh, I wanted to come meet them here. I, they, 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 you know, where, where are they?" Um, and then when Ale answers him and says, "Then, Lord, perhaps you will give me leave to go and discover the truth of this matter." I like this line: "You have my leave, but not my love," said Kurufin. The sooner you <laughs> depart from my land, the better it will please me. But that that line: "You have my leave, but not my love." That's yes. my highlighted line of this chapter. That's a great one. I so the one I was thinking of was after that because oh. it reveals um, sort of the sons of Fionor and their attitude towards Aeol and even his marriage, which is sus- suspect. So Aeol gives a sarcastic reply. He says, "Then Aeol mounted his horse, saying, it is good, Lord Kurufin, to find a kinsman thus kindly at need. I will remember it when I return.'" Um, and then Kurufin looked darkly upon Aeol. Do not flaunt the title of your wife before me, he said. For those who steal the... He's referring to the fact that Ale said, um, called Kurufin a kinsman, kinsman. Um, which, you know, Kurufin is Arathel's cousin. Yeah. So... So he uh, is... He is Ale is the uncle talking dirty politics at the Thanksgiving table, essentially. He's the one that <laughs> you don't want to... You don't want to name him as a kinsman ever. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but then, so Kurufin retorts and says, do not flaunt the title of your wife before me. He said, for those who steal the daughters of the Noldor and wed them without gift or leave, do not gain kinship with their kin. So he's he's telling him, yeah, the way you wed my cousin, not not right, and you're no kinsman of mine, Doesn't it's not legitimate. And so it's that it's an interesting um, window into the way that the elves see yeah. bonds of kinship. In other words, the marriage so, has to be proper to be actually kin. It's interesting to me that we have found somebody who makes the sons of fan or seem like good guys. <laughs> so true. <laughs> like, hey, I know we're bad, but we're not that guy. Like we're not that creepy guy off in the woods. Like the stooped guy in the black armor. That's right. The shifty there's eyes. All, turns out there's always someone worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so so he leaves, and I, I like we're, we're this this is going to go on forever if we keep going through this. But eventually they all get to Gondolin and to the council to the to the to the hall of Turgon, and uh, El, El finds them. He sees them going in through the secret passage into Gondolin, uh, follows them. 
uh, tells that his wife is there and Turgon is a little bit shocked that he claims that it's his wife and she's like, nope, nope, really, he's my wife, he's my husband. Uh, bring him in, I guess. Uh, and, and, and they see Maeglin. What's interesting to me is they see Maeglin um, with different eyes than we see him even now because he's not the, he, they don't see him as the son of Ael first, right? They see him as the son of Arithel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that changes their attitude toward him um, if, he had, if, if he had shown up with Ale first. Kind of a small thing, but I think it, 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 when it comes to telling the story, I think it makes a big difference. Yeah, because they, 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 they accept him right away, right? Yeah. They, they're like, oh, yeah, you're the son of Arithel. Great, welcome in. Yeah. 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 Um, but they go on, and uh, Ale is brought to Turgon's Hall. Um, and I like, the, you know, this is where Tolkien does a great job sometimes of giving you a little bit of, of, of appreciation for the bad guys. Like you can understand where they're coming from just a little bit, not that that changes them completely, but when he says to, uh, Turgon, uh, where he says, you know, Turgon tells him you neither, you either, you may not depart, you're going to stay here or you're going to die. Um, and he says to Turgon, I acknowledge not your law. No right have you or any of your kin in this land to seize realms or to set bounds either here or there. This is the land of the Teleri to which you bring war and all unquiet, dealing ever proudly and unjustly. And that is completely 100% true. The Noldor brought war. They brought unquiet. Morgoth was not a problem to them real, until, the, until the Noldor pushed him over into Middle-earth because of uh, what, what the, the, his, his rife with Feanor, right? Obviously, Morgoth That's has a big right. deal with it. But it was the Noldor who, who are making war against him and who dealt with all this and brought it to Middle-earth. Uh, and so all this war, all this unquiet, he sees as the fault of the Noldor. And so then he asks, um, he says, Arithel's your sister, so you probably have some claim on her, but I'm taking Maeglin, or Maeglin. See, see, I just... Ha! 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 It's been pronounced both ways in this in this uh, podcast. But Maeglin, um, and uh, we, we aren't told what Maeglin's opinion is. We just tell, say that uh, that um, Ael wants to take him. And, and so then Turgon has a wonderful reply, also true, to Ale, to the speech you just read to Ale, he says, I will not debate with you, Dark Elf. Interestingly, I don't think we've, I mean, how did he know he's called the Dark Elf? I don't, did we, did, did we find that out? I don't know. Somewhere? I don't know if anybody actually, is that the first time somebody yeah. uh, says it in a quote? I'm not sure. Yeah. By the swords of the Noldor alone are your sunless woods defended. Your freedom to wander there wild you owe to my kin. And but for them, long since you would have labored and thralled them in the pits of Angband. So, and here I am king, and whether you will it or will it not, my doom is law. This choice only is given to you. Abide here or die here, and also for your son. They have a picture of Ale up above the cash register. It says, do not accept checks from this man. <laughs> Everyone's got like the, the, everyone knows. Like he shows up and they go like, oh man, not this dark elf guy. Oh uh, man. You know, I was, about him. so I was just looking it up, right? Um, the, it's interesting, uh, back in chapter, what chapter is this? Of the Return of the Noldor, Carinthir, uh, Carinthir, who loved not the sons of Finarfin, was the harshest of the brothers and most quick to anger, he cried aloud, Yea, more, let not the sons of Finarfin run hither and thither with their tails to this dark elf in his cave. So that's another capital D, capital E, dark elf hmm. right there. Uh, hmm. And he's, but he's speaking of Thingol. Uh, okay. Well, that's he, interesting. So maybe it's like this is what the, the, the naming of these dark elves 
in oh. caves and in darkness is what they, they end up so so about. that that would be hilarious because then tolkien would be making this great joke because we know ale as the dark elf for various other reasons that we all pointed out earlier in this episode but apparently great great quote poll it is not unusual for for the noldor to refer to people that are to the teleri or the moraquendi as dark elves, dark elves. Mm-hmm. so cool very cool yeah so anyway um Aeol chooses to die and he does so in the worst way possible taking a poison javelin and saying i'm going to kill my son um which i find hilarious his his subsequent squeak speech before he himself is put to death to be hilarious because he he literally takes a poison javelin and throws it at his son and and his wife steps in the way and so she dies of the poison javelin instead um you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, with uh, hints of of uh, Hamlet, I guess, in the in, in, yeah. the, in yeah. the making there. Uh, but so the mother dying in place of the son mm-hmm. um, from poison. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. So so there's the um, from the father, too, or at least originally. Yeah. From the father. Um, husband kills wife with poison meant for son. So yeah, very much very much hamlet um but uh but there's a um there's another you know and then and then he's he's gonna uh, be put to death he's about to be put to death and he turns to his son as he's as he's about to be thrown from the sheer walls of the city and says so you forsake your father and kin ill-gotten son here shall you fail of all your hopes and here may you yet die the same death as i it's like He's trying to shame him after he literally tried to murder him in the previous scene. So you're forsaking uh, me now after all I did for you? Exactly. (laughs) Why didn't you just die when I tried to kill you? (laughs) So uh, uh, Ale Ale is definitely the guy uh, with his picture above the cash cash register. I agree with Dan. (laughs) I just love in this whole scene of Ale dying that Tolkien gave a name to the cliff where they throw people off to their death. That they have a oh, place. Yeah. It's the, the Karagdur, right? A precipice of black rock upon the north side of uh, of the hill of Gondolin, there to cast him down from the sheer walls of the city. Not that necessarily this was that it was named that thusly because they would ha- they would they would take turns throwing the uh, dark elves off the side of the city. But uh, I just love that it gives a name because by giving it a name, right, he gives it sort of more weight, more importance, more. Uh, like his death means a little bit more than just somebody being tossed into a pit somewhere. Um, is it is it given the name after the event happens after that tossing? I don't think so. I think that oh, okay. I, I think because it is a precipice of black rock, like it's a unique hmm. formation. But he calls it the Karagdor, and I'm not sure what uh, what Karagdor translates to. I don't um, know. However, I just like that. It's very hmm. Tolkieny. It's very very yeah. much what I like about him and how he writes is that just by like it does with the Lord of the Rings it's it's revealed to us in the Silmarillion all those little bits and nuggets that he has in uh, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and here is like another bit and nugget that was never revealed to us and I don't know if it is in anywhere else maybe it's mentioned in somewhere in the histories of Middle Earth but uh, it's uh, it's just that name right that name means yeah. something and it has more to it than just like in his head when he was writing it it meant something to him we don't know exactly what that was and there's almost, there's almost like a poetry to it mm. um in terms of what what tolkien does with names it's like what poets do in poetry it's like you could just describe something in prose but if you write a poem about it it's like it's it's said in a way that it has a more more depth or more meaning behind yeah. it like like if yeah. you read uh, psalms in the king james 
there's there's still phrases in the King James Bible that that we know today, even though very few people read the King James Bible because it's so the way it's it, written is so art, artistic and poetic. It just resonates more, like the way yeah. it's, like you it's like it's not you read it once and you don't forget it, but you read it once right. and then it somehow it just it, it keeps echoing back into your mind because you can't get it out. It was written so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree, and and on top of that, I actually I think that Tolkien actually uses um, words for places and people, um, races and things of that sort in order to spark his subcreation. I, unlike, Mm -hmm. like if you imagine a guy like George RR Martin writing something, he'll write about a story and he'll, then he, he'll be something like, well, I got to come up with a name for this land. So I'm going to name it. And (laughs) I just invents a name for the land that he's already had a story about for many, in many, so many places in Tolkien's work, it seems like he comes up with a name for a thing, and then that name is the seed from which his a further fable or idea a story springs. Yeah. So the word itself is the seed yeah. and the beginning of the subcreative life of his of his epic um, work. And so I, I I found I always find that really pretty cool. Although what's interesting is I did a little research on the name ale. Nobody really knows what it means. Nobody's sure, which is interesting. I don't know if Tolkien just never wrote it down or where it comes from, but we can't, nobody's quite sure why he's named Ale. Well, he is, um, like his name is, is similar to Ingwe, Elwe, Olwe, and Finwe in the mm-hmm. sense that there's, there, there isn't a, a, na- a meaning mm, to the. Okay, I'll give you that. Yes, it, right. it's a It's like a, um, they are the, the first principle of the names. They're, they're just, they're, and then from them, other names get made. Because um, they are, so he seems to be almost his own branch of elves. I know he's not technically, but, but, um, and speaking of branches, we finished this this story since we're going quite long <laughs> we're on a short chapter. Quite long, yes. Yeah, um, we finish it with an interesting insight into elven and into elven lines of consanguinity. So, we we find what? out that the what consa what consanguinity okay. no, sharing you. blood. You yeah. can't marry someone with a de- with a close to, with too close of a line of consanguinity. So like you studied medieval literature or something. Sorry, yeah. man, it's a medieval thing. Maybe <laughs> also a Catholic thing. Um, so there's a um, part in the last se- sentence. We're told that he loves Idril, like he's struck by the beauty of Idril. Now Idril is his father. Um, his his uh, sorry, his not his cousin. father. His is his uncle Turgon's um, daughter daughter so he she would Idril would be half sister to Arathel his mother so she would be his um his uh his half aunt um so and he falls in love with her because it's it's said right. that she, yeah yeah right yeah right oh, she's I, in the is, same isn't Arathel his sister Turgon's I'm talking about Maeglin now oh yeah so but so if Arathel is is Maeglin's mother Maeglin's mother and Arathel is Turgon's sister and Idril when they is... Be, when they be cousins? Half cousins? Oh, you're absolutely right. Yep, yep, yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, cousins. Uh, wow, what did I, how did I do that? <laughs> wow. So, sister, yep. You just have so, way too I mean, many family members to, wor- to worry about it that often. There so. might be too much consanguinity in my family. Yeah. <laughs> I may um, not know the word consanguinity, <laughs> but I know when it's but wrong, man. I do know, man. That I do know they're cousins. Marry your cousin. <laughs> exactly. So, half cousin, technically, but uh, yeah. So, oh, so... She, yeah, well, know. she's uh, she, her mother is a Vanyar, right? Right, 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 and she's left in in Valinor, right? Correct. So correct. 
so which is why Idril is so said she said to have this sort of draws all light to her effect mm -hmm. at the Vanyar, like the least named of all the elves at least have this quality. Mm -hmm. So they they tend to be golden haired and light just follows them around apparently like mm -hmm. a puppy dog. So <laughs> there's a uh, so he falls in love with her, but she's his cousin. And the line is, he loved the beauty of Idril and desired her without hope. The Eldar wedded not with kin so near nor ever before had any desired to do so. In other words, this is the first issue uh, example of forbidden love um, hmm. from, of a cousin. And however that might be, Idril loved Maeglin not at all, and knowing his thought of her, she loved him the less. For it seemed to her a thing strange and crooked in him, as indeed the Eldar have ever since deemed it, an evil fruit of the kinslain, whereby the shadow of the curse of Mondos fell upon the last hope of the Noldor. Very interesting, right? Because they're tying it to the curse of Mondos that um, this child who's only half Noldor, because his, only his mother is Noldor, um, has, is, has this sort of crooked and twisted desire to marry his cousin and um, that that's actually a, an evil thing. And, uh, and the Eldar found it to be evil. And, and, and because of this unrequited love, which... Maeglin holds forever in his heart. He's going to do bad things in the future. Mm. But he, in the meantime, he does good things. Yeah, yeah. He teaches them a lot about smithing again. That seems to be a, a, a pattern. Because right, he learned from the, the, the dwarves, and Turgon has not learned from the dwarves, so now they learn everything from Maeglin, who learned from the dwarves, who learned from his father, who learned from the dwarves. Wow, we're like four degrees of separation here. <laughs> well, in the dwarves, it said the dwarven steel was better than even the Noldor. Yeah. So, so now the Noldor have elven versions of the Dwarven steel. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, man. I love, again, it's funny, like this is a story with an ending in a way, right? Because it's, um, you know, like everything, it ends in sadness almost in the Silmarillion with Ael dying, Idril, uh, Erethel dying, and uh, unrequited love that is crooked and wrong. Uh, but we get, it's like, it's setting up all these great characters, which, um, man, if they, if they had created a TV show about stuff like this, we could really, this is a true Game of Thrones stuff going on right here, mm. uh, without unneeded brothels and other things. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, we covered a lot guys. I feel like we could keep talking about this, but I feel like I have to cut it off. Yep. Mm. Yep, that was all about. Uh, it was interesting. That was a that was so, a self a self contained story. Cool, yeah, pretty cool. So the big takeaway: Arathel is a Disney princess who dies by poison in the end. Yep, yep. Disney princess caught <laughs> in a Hamlet who, play. Who the beast is actually the beast. The poison is actually poison, and there is no Prince Charming to come and save her. It's how real life Disney princesses would would actually. <laughs> right. So the lesson we're supposed <laughs> to take away is. You should always have a real Prince Charming, right? Yeah. Oh, that's the patriarchy speaking. No, sorry, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I kind of feel like that, that's, that's a recurring theme in Tolkien, that, that what is good is to know your role and to know your place and to, I don't know, not... Yeah. Am I wrong to be a, saying to that? be a part of a natural order. Yes, there's a natural right. order, and a, and the order includes both social hierarchy and um, actual metaphysical hierarchy in nature. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you stray from that, you you get yourself and others around you in trouble. Yeah, hmm. Hmm. I agree. That's good. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to cut us off because we could keep going. Um, and in fact, I'm going to make an executive decision and say we're not we're not going to do uh, if you like Tolkien today because. 
uh, it's going to take us way too long because it's a special one, and I think it's going to take us another 15 or 20 minutes, and oh. we don't want to put you through this here. So, uh, in any case... If you like Tolkien... Uh, you could go get the audiobook of The Fall of Numenor. That's something I've, I've been reading and uh, listening to on some walks in the morning, taking my kids to the bus stop, doing all that. There right, The Fall of Numenor right there. Thank you, Michael, pointing to it. Uh, it's done well. It has two different... Kind of like... Um, I think it's Unfinished Tales also has two different narrators, one that speaks in Tolkien's voice and one that speaks as um, the footnotes, which is kind of nice. You can separate what Tolkien wrote from um, what the commentary is. Uh, so go check that out. Uh, I'll put a link below. It's on Audible. And I think it's read by Brian Sibley. He's the, uh, he's the commentary. Uh, I don't remember the other, author, the other uh, reader's name, but he does a really good job with it too. Um, yeah, so we're going to move on into our extended edition, guys. We're gonna, we have questions to, to cover, again, about Ale, about Tom Bombadil, about even Ents. I'm going to bring up something. Cool. Uh, so if you want to join us there, you can. You can get them all if you go to thewondering.com slash patron and uh, get access to all of them. So uh, they're about 25 minutes longer. This one could be another 45 minutes to 16 hours longer because Tom Bombadil. No, we, we, got, we got dinner to get and cigars to smoke. So um, yes. we are off. Thank you for joining us. But please check out the extended podcast and join us on Discord. It'd be awesome. More, more the merrier. It'd be great. So anyway, talk to you guys later. Bye, free lovers. All right, bye. Mm.